Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. newsmakers from the Bob Rose Show. The Bob Rose Rewind is now on 97.3 The Sky. Good morning and happy, happy Saturday. It's that time. Ready for a brand new, fresh edition of the Bob Rose Rewind? Well, get relaxed, sit down, make yourself comfortable because here we go. We kick it off with Florida Ag Commissioner Wilton Simpson. One of the things they're working on is stopping a special assessment and help protect farms, especially family farms. Let's ask him about it right now on the Bob Rose Rewind, 97.3, The Sky. Good morning, Commissioner. How are you today? Um, good morning. I am doing great, Bob. Hey, tell me about this pending legislation uh, that's supposed to prevent local governments from uh, special assessment on ag lands. I guess start from the beginning. I, I didn't know this was a thing or a threat. Tell us about it. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. We did a, um, a press conference yesterday here in Tallahassee, and... Um, what you have is you have local governments that will do special assessments for fire districts or stormwater treatment or, or assessment or incinerators or other things. And when they do these assessments, they do it to all of us, right, Everybody, including agriculture. And what happens, because agriculture has a lot of large buildings, um, generally storing hay, storing plants, storing cattle, dairies, chickens, what have you, um, we get lumped in at a very large rate. And I'll give you some examples. There are special assessments where farmers have zero today that would go easily in the tens of thousands of dollars for that farmer, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so what we're saying in this bill is you counties and cities, you cannot impose special tax assessments on agriculture. And the reason we're doing that is we're thinking we're here, we are trying to make sure that we're taking care of our farmers, making sure that we're getting roadblocks out of their way so we don't continue to develop all of our ag land. And if you have local governments doing these special assessments, you're just pushing those farmers out of those communities. As soon as that farmer is gone, of course, you're going to have development, normally housing or commercial and so on. And so one of the tools in the toolbox of protecting agriculture for the next 50, 100 years is not allowing local governments to do a special assessment. And I'll give you a really a real example. So if you do it on impervious services like is normally done on, on a special assessment, a dairy farmer could be paying the same amount of money as a Walmart. Well, you know how many people go to a dairy farm every day, right? A few employees. <laughs> you know how many people go to a Walmart every day? Tens of thousands, potentially. And so th it doesn't seem right that those two entities would be paying a very similar um, special tax. 
And, of course, when you think of food as what it is, as a national security issue, and um, that we need to be supporting our agriculture and making sure that our farmers, we get the, you know, the, the roadblocks out of their way, not put additional ones on their way, in their way. Um, this just seems like a common sense approach to that. And it fits very well into the other bills that we're trying to get done this year of protecting our farmers. Well, that's what I also wanted to get to as well is, are we making inroads into these rural and, and family lands and protecting it against uh, foreign ownership? Specifically, I'm most concerned with China. That's right. Well, what we're doing, that, and there's two things going on there, which are two very, very good bills, I believe. And again, it's this notion we want to make agriculture, make sure we're thriving 50, 100 years from today, not just today only. And so the one bill that you're, you mentioned there says that n- any of our foreign enemies of the United States cannot buy agriculture land in the state of Florida, nor can they buy land in and around our military installations. That bill is going through the legislature again. And, if, and by the way, some of our foreign enemies do own land here in the state of Florida. They will have to surplus that land within a few years and get it out of their control or their ownership. So that is a very important piece of the um, puzzle as we protect agriculture for the next, you know, again, and for the future. The rule and family lands fits very nicely with all of these components. Um, the, we asked the legislature for an additional $300 million this year. And what we're doing with that is we go into your agriculture communities. You have a lot of family farms that would love to stay. They would love to have their families be able to do this in perpetuity forever. And so we go in and buy the development rights from those farmers, meaning obviously you can't you know, put housing or other developments on those properties. You can do farming there. And by supporting that program, um, this, this property will remain in agriculture in perpetuity, which guarantees us property to grow food on, again, 50, 100 years from now. So when you look at the combination of those things, the special taxes gone, um, the idea that we, we're not going to allow our foreign enemies to come in and buy up our ag lands, our military lands, are in and around our military bases, and then we're going to go in and buy development rights from farmers so that they can afford to stay in farming in perpetuity. Those things, by the way, um, are very efficient and effective for farmers. But on the rural and family lands, what makes it uniquely different from a purchasing outright purchase of land, a fee simple purchase, when we buy development rights, those properties remain on the local tax rolls. So they continue to pay local taxes. If we buy the property as a state, now it goes off the tax roll, and then I have to go ask for more money to maintain that land. If we leave it with the farmers and these landowners, they're going to take care of that land. So they take care of the land. They pay local taxes. They continue to farm. And and when you buy development rights, clearly you're not paying as much as you would to buy the property outright. Your money goes two to three times further by buying development rights than it would be fee simple purchase. So as we do all of the things we're talking about on this morning, we're trying to do it at what most advantages the taxpayer of the state of Florida. The only downside I see to that is, uh, you know, the farmer's kids, Johnny and Susie. Johnny wants to be a farmer like his daddy. Susie wants to go to the big city and cash out and get rid of that stupid farm and, uh, you know, live life in the big city. Uh, but what it does is it, 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 follows the wishes of the current owners, and I think that's interesting and probably a good thing. Not only a good thing, it's a legacy issue, but let's say that scenario you mentioned, Johnny stays or Susie stays and the other one leaves. Um, If that legacy, that family farm, that legacy is to leave that in the farming hands in perpetuity. Let's say Susie and Johnny both decide to go to the big city and get rid of the farm. That's not a problem. Another farmer would come in and buy that land um, at the fair market value, 
and then they would be able to farm that land in perpetuity. So just because we buy the development rights um, does not take away the ability to sell that farm um, from the if the children decide not to or the grandchildren or whichever generation decides to get out. It will reduce the value of that property, right, because we bought the development rights off of it. But certainly the current owner, um, which is the one we would be privy with, um, is accepting that price for the current value of that property. And look, if you own property in this state in the 90s and you own it today, you probably three, four, five, ten times your money in some cases. And so, but when farmers of these large landowners want to sell their development rights, sometimes it's just sentimental. They want their farm to be there forever. Sometimes they're using that capital to do additional farming. Uh, but it's a willing seller. It's a fair market appraised value based on what we're buying. And that's how those um, discussions go. And there's a lot of appetite in this state, billions of dollars of appetite for selling the development rights. And here's the good part. If we buy enough of these development rights, of course, we're taking care of our wildlife corridor by buying these development mm-hmm. rights because that's where it is. We're taking care of our aquifer recharge area because that's where these properties generally are. And we're taking care of the, the farmland, again, in perpetuity. Um, so we're taking care of a lot of things by buying these development rights that are structural to the long-term health of the state of Florida. I love it. It really sounds like a win-win. Thank you for uh, explaining to us in an easy understand uh, understanding way. Now, here's something we're not so understanding of. Uh, this is going to be a tough question. When the heck are egg prices going to come down, Commissioner? You know, um, well, they have. Um, so let me, I'll give you something. So if you go back, and I'm bad on dates, but about eight or ten weeks ago, eggs peaked in what we call the southeast pricing. So we're quoted, um, you know, the, on the Ernerberry market, which is the commodities market, um, every day <clears throat> what the price of eggs is going to be, and it's based on supply and demand. And so um, they peaked at 554 a dozen about ten weeks ago now, I believe, two and a half months ago. So at that time, people were probably paying that $6 a dozen or so for eggs in the store. They immediately fell um, over the last, uh, over, you, know, two or, you know, six, eight weeks ago to about $2.30 or $0.40 cents a dozen on the wholesale. So our price went from 550 to about I'm rounding here 230, and now because of Easter coming back up and the additional demand, they've gotten back up to about three dollars and sixty cents locally for the farmer. And of course, as Easter passes, then that price will normally collapse. But the bigger so that's a heavier demand time of the year. But the the bigger part of this is that so far, I have not heard about an additional any avian flu cases, any outbreaks. So the migratory birds that are coming back from the south now going north from South America back to Canada and over to Europe, um, they have not, we have not had an additional farm in the last few months that I'm aware of have any outbreaks of AI, the avian flu. And so I believe um, over the next six months, if we do not have more avian flu outbreaks, you'll see eggs settle back down to their normal traditional level of around $2 a dozen. And again, the challenge here is, is our supply chains are, compl- you know, are very strained. And we have to make sure that we're doing things as government to stay out of the way of these farmers to make sure they can continue to expand those operations and bring that safe, affordable, abundant food to our houses. Ag Commissioner Wilton Simpson on the Bob Rose Rewind. Thanks so much for tuning in and happy Saturday. Coming up next, it's all about the horsies. That's right. We're the horse capital of the world. And Louisa Barton is going to join us from the Horse Talk Show. And we're going to talk about a huge local event. That's coming up next on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3 The Sky. Call from mom. Answer it. 
Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the Bob Rose Rewind. Now. On News Talk 97.3, The Sky. Happy Saturday and welcome to Bob Rose Rewind rolling on or galloping on with Louisa Barton from the Horse Talk Show. And you know, equestrian stuff is huge in this area. Obviously, she's going to tell us about a big event, the Equestrian Expo. Let's do that right now. The Bob Rose Rewind 97.3, The Sky. Good morning, Louisa. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we're in horse country, and we love to promote the ponies. Uh, I understand there is a huge event coming our way. Tell me more about it. Yes, there certainly is. We're very excited to have the annual Equine Industry Expo presented by Quantum Fiber next week, March 29th, from 1 to 7 p.m., and that is going to be at the wonderful Ocala Downtown Market. And we're very excited to showcase the horse capital of the world, with a variety of different horse breeds, carriage rides, and a number of top equestrians and experts from the equine world who will be um, doing some different demos. Uh, People have an opportunity to meet lots of different horses and take photographs with them, take a free carriage ride, and learn how to um, work in the horse world, whether you might have an interest in a career um, of any sort, from an exercise rider to a groom, um, to an equine dentist or veterinarian or even a farrier. Wow, that sounds great. Now, I understand this uh, this event, you're going to have food trucks and, and stuff going on. So it's kind of, I mean, it really is like a little kind of a party, right? Oh, it's a party for sure, yes. The uh, the vendor booths actually sold out a couple of weeks ago and we're on a waiting list. So there'll be lots of vendors with all sorts of interesting products. Um, some, probably more than half, related to the horse world and then just some some other people interested in being there and then um, some wonderful food trucks. I think we have three or four food trucks that are going to be there um, throughout the throughout the day. And there'll be a, a barn, a four-store barn set up um, with four horses that you can go and visit. And then we'll also have another 12 or 13 horses, everything from um, the gentle carousel miniature therapy horses who are coming, you know, who's sort of up to your knee size, dog size horses, um, if you're a little bit intimidated, to, um, to gypsy vanners and... Um, uh, quarter horses, thoroughbreds, 
Uh, we've got a beautiful Appaloosa coming, uh, and you can meet and greet with all these horses. They're all very friendly and all very well trained. So, um, you know, you can meet them and their owners, take photographs, pet them, and learn actually about that specific breed. You know, learn all about how many breeds there are. We have over 60 breeds in the horse capital here in Marion County. And so you'll get to meet uh, quite a number of those. The Florida Mounted units coming, so you'll be able to meet them. It'll be very exciting. We have a farrier and an equine dentist coming who are actually going to do demonstrations. So you can watch a horse getting shoes put on. Um, and you can also watch a dentist float a horse's teeth. It needs to be done annually. Wow. So we're also, yeah, we're also going to have some great uh, tech there. You're going to see a horse get microchipped um, as well. And um, so there's a lot of really interesting things coming. I believe the College of Central Florida is going to be there. The 4-H is going to be there. We're going to have a Fortner Farms classroom set up where you can come in and ask experts questions uh, about their career. And uh, if you have an interest in that particular career, you know, it might be something you'd be interested in. So we're kind of making a career um, event out of it as well as a lot of, of fun and horses. So we call it equine edutainment. Well, that's re- you really covered the bases there. All the questions I was trying to think of, all the uh, related, no, the related things, because we say, you know, we're in horse country, and I think, you know, a lot, I do, I naturally think of basically horse racing, and I know there's a lot more going on than just that. That's just one aspect of it. A lot of people, just for recreational purposes, absolutely love uh, to ride their horses, and maybe some people are, are new to the area, or maybe they recently purchased a, a larger tract of property and may want to consider um, the purchase of a, a horse, and first they want to do some homework, right, and what it's going to take in terms of care and and uh, about maybe getting lessons on how to ride. I'm sure there'll be some people there that can lend uh, some expertise, right? Absolutely, no doubt about it. And, you know, we'll, we'd be happy to let them pick, uh, learn how to muck a stall if they'd like while they're there. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we're very excited about it. You know, we just had Live Oak International this past weekend and that is just another great way to see so many different um different things that happen in the horse world you know with the driving the combined driving the show jumping the top level show jumping and then also getting to see the Budweiser Clydesdales and you know I feel like when you can go to an event like that and see all the different parts um and all the different things that go on you know I think of horse racing a lot especially you know we're only a couple of months now from the Kentucky Derby Mm -hmm. and we have so many thoroughbred farms here that are training those horses and getting them ready you know for that for that very important uh, race but you know it it's a it's exciting to see that we have dales ponies and clydesdales and miniature horses and appaloosas and you know all those different breeds that sometimes you don't even think about you don't realize they're all pretty much right here you know they all have farms here and they're they're all and they're so willing to come and be part of this event to help us educate people on the importance of the equine industry i'm i'm always surprised when we take a miniature therapy horse into the schools and there's 30 kids sitting there and um you know 27 of them have never touched a horse and um we we're changing that but you know i see that and i think oh my gosh here we are in the horse capital of the world and we have 27 out of 30 children haven't had a chance to be around horses so this gives people the opportunity to say i touched a horse i met a horse i learned about horses and i learned about the industry and how wonderful to break that barrier down in such a a fun and entertaining way, and I just think that's really special. March 27th from 1 to 9, equine... March, March 29th. <laughs> not 29th, I'm sorry. March 29th, I wrote it down wrong. Uh, 1 to 9, equine industry expo, food trucks there, the whole industry, every aspect of it is going to be covered. Is there a website people can go for more info? 
Um, they can just go to Facebook, and if they type in 2023 Equine Industry Expo, it will pop straight up, and everything is on there. Fantastic, and make sure you tune in, Louisa Barton, and yes. the Horse Talk Show, Saturday morning at 7. Thank you so much, Louisa. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And coming up next, State Representative Chuck Clemens talking about GRU and the state and a taking over oversight. Very important subject next on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3 The Sky. Now, the Bob Rose Rewind on 97.3 The Sky. Happy Saturday and welcome. The Bob Rose Rewind continues this time with State Representative Chuck Clemens. Folks who have gotten GRU bills know they're one of the most expensive utilities in the state. Well, there's some folks taking action and trying to get a handle on that and the huge debt they're accruing. So GRU oversight, very important. State Representative Chuck Clemens tells us all about it right now on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3 The Sky. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I've only lived here for 21 years. I know you're a lifetime resident, at least of the area. A GRU has been a thorn in the side of, of uh, businesses and homeowners for a long time. They've uh, typically had uh, some of the highest rates uh, in the state. Uh, they've been uh, mismanaged at several different levels through the years and certainly been misguided uh, uh, by the, uh, the governing body, which is the city commissioners in Gainesville. And this not just the current folks. There's, it's, there's a long list. Uh, I guess question number one, why has it taken such a long time to try to address uh, the problems related to GRU. Why, why now? Well, let, let, let's back up for just a moment. I mean, uh, Gainesville Regional Utilities um, is about 100 years old, and uh, frankly, for the first 80 years, uh, until just over past the year 2000, it was run in a super fantastic professional manner. It did exactly what it was intended to do. Rates were low. Uh, transfers were low. Uh, good fiscal decisions were made for the community. And and secondly, um, the, the folks that work at GRU, you know, the, the linemen, the, mm-hmm. the, the people, mm-hmm. they're, they're really good. They're really good people. Totally so agree. These, yeah, these issues um, uh, strictly come from the management, meaning the board of directors, which is the currently the seven city commissioners in Gainesville. In the last uh, two decades, there's been a series of uh, fiscal conflicts between uh, what what you should do for the city and in the, what's in the best interest long term financially of Gainesville Regional Utilities and and the city commissioners have just been using uh, GRU as their personal uh, piggy bank for the pet projects in the city. In fact, Bob, in the last four years, uh, the city commissioners have uh, withdrawn from the ATM sixty eight million dollars more than what the utility earned. Let that sink in for a moment. So, so they were showing a profit for some time in the in the not too distant past. They had a profit from the top of the profit. Uh, the city would uh, push a bunch of money over into the city coffers. They would scoop money off the top. But now there's no cream rising off the top, and hasn't been for a while. So everything they take from GRU is really taking from something that doesn't exist. So it turns into a debt. It surely does. And, and to, furthermore, Bob, uh, one, one of the huge challenges is um, you know, the, the debacle 
that we had uh, in the uh, 2007 area with the biomass plant was the the first uh, little stone that started turning, and as it went down the mountain, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the debt is just uh, stifling right now. We have $1.7 billion of debt. Uh, last year, I think the transfer was $38 million. Um, they're, they're making some movement of reducing the transfer by $2 million. I can tell you, that's like um, rearranging the deck chairs on the, on the Titanic. A $2 million deduct, uh, reduction will do nothing. Uh, it's like, uh, for, for common folks, it's like when you pay the minimum payment on your credit card, you know you never will get that bad boy paid off, and that's exactly what the plan was put forward by the city commissioners. So since they've had their little talking to, I guess if I can call it that, in Tallahassee, a dress down, whatever, have they come up with an alternative plan that's going to be far more aggressive initially or at least, you know, uh, as a target to get serious about paying down the existing debt? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, uh, Senator Perry and myself in uh, November of 2019, Bob, we called for the audit of the city of Gainesville. And uh, it's three years plus later, we're just now getting the audit wow. findings. There were eight, 18 of them. Um, I inquired probably a half a dozen times with the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, uh, where's the audit, where's the audit, where's the audit? And the city was slow walking the data. Uh, they used uh, the pandemic uh, that, that, you know, they can't get the data, people aren't in the office, they're working remotely, yada, yada, yada. And it took literally three years, which probably normally should take about nine months. It took three years to get the, the data. So um, uh, uncooperative. And uh, look, it's, um, it's something that just can't be overlooked. And the legislative delegation, we're putting forth a, a bill. It will come through a committee. And it would basically strip the Gainesville City Commissioners from their governing authority because we've got to stop this bleeding or we're not going to have uh, a utility uh, at all. Now, I, do, do you have any inkling of what a plan would be, or do you have to assemble the panel, the overseers, first, let them study it, and then come up with a plan? And my simpler question is, will this result in a reduction of the GRU workforce? Because obviously, people that work there are very concerned. Well, I, I don't believe, uh, 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 well, if you're talking about the 12 or 13 uh, communications folks or the um, perhaps the community outreach person that makes $219,000 a year, maybe some of those uh, might, might need to take into consideration that, uh, that they may be overstaffed. But the linemen, the, the, the good folks that run the utility on a day-to-day basis, no. I believe that the city has bloated some of their staff because of that transfer. No. And I believe that, that they, they, need to, they need to reduce some, some of their workforce there. But, but the first, you ask about it, and it's like in any triage situation, Bob, when you come up uh, you know, and you're looking at a, a really bad situation, stop the bleeding first. And the, the, the stop the bleeding would be the, the draining of GRU each year more profits than what they're earning is being transferred. So if you build a wall there and say, look, n- n- no more of this. We're going to remove the conflict of interest that the city commissioners have because they they pull the money out of GRU because they raise the rates on the tax on the on the power users and the water users because 40, 35 to 40 percent of them they don't live in the city they can't vote those city commissioners out. So if you come between raising property taxes in the city or raising the power bills. Uh, gosh, you're going to raise the power bills because uh, almost uh, you know, 40%, they can't cast a ballot to, to kick you out of office. 
Is there a chance that there could be a, a bankruptcy or a default on the part of GRU and or the city, and how would that work? Well, I, I think the answer is if we don't make these drastic changes today, absolutely, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a, a, a point in time when the debt will will be so large that uh, Gainesville Regional Utilities will, will no, no longer exist. That's my that's my philosophy, and what I back that up with is that a good municipal utility has about 60% equity and 40% debt. Bob, today, Gainesville Regional Utilities only has 18% debt. So I would share no, with wait, you and all again. your listeners. No, wait, say that again. I think you no, got it backwards. 18% no, no. equity. Oh, yeah, 18% equity, right. And, and then, uh, you know, 82% debt. So I would surmise today that uh, Gainesville Regional Utilities is not owned by the people that serve. It's owned by Wall Street investors. Mm. They, they are the ones that are uh, uh, they own Gainesville Regional Utilities. Wow. And with, uh, you know, the banking issues that are, they're plaguing, uh, yeah, how do you get people to invest? Uh, are they going to have to try to get more bonds? Is the bond rating going to be there for them to continue to service this debt? I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, by not taking bold action, we're just being complicit. So the legislative delegation, uh, minus uh, Representative Henson, she voted against uh, taking these actions. Um, we're we're going to take actions. We're going to try to protect um, not only the ratepayers, but we're going to try to protect the taxpayers in the city of Gainesville. And you've you got to live within your means. You know, uh, we do this at home. Uh, the, the federal government doesn't, but I can tell you the state of Florida lives within its means. We have a, a constitutional amendment that says we can't spend more than we earn. And so... I think Gainesville and, and Gainesville Regional Utilities should live by that same credo. Give me a ballpark time uh, a figure when you think uh, things will begin to change or this new panel will be actually up and working. Well, the, uh, the, it will probably strongly pass the House and the Senate. It will go to the governor for signature. Uh, from what I understand, the governor is uh, favorable towards uh, bringing uh, some sort of uh, realistic management decisions to Gainesville Regional Utilities, and he, he will sign the bill into law and then begin the appointment process of, of three people who have some background, either law, accounting, uh, energy. Uh, they will be on the board. One of the board members would be a, a person from the 35 to 40% of the rate Payers that are not in the city, the first time ever people outside the city would have some uh, you know, representation on this governing board. And then the last one would be a, a commercial representing commercial users. You know, we have the highest commercial rates in the state. And so uh, it would be very good to have someone in that particular category represented on the governing board. So uh, a, a great positive movement if we can uh, get this across the finish line. State Representative Chuck Clemens on the Bob Rose Rewind. Happy Saturday coming up next. Congresswoman Kat Kamek, a subject that couldn't be any more important. Dealing with China, especially TikTok. We'll ask her about it next on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3 The Sky. Rewind. Rewinding great newsmakers. News Talk 97.3. The Sky. Good morning and welcome. The Bob Rose Rewind continues last but certainly not least. Congresswoman Kat Kamek dealing with China's huge influence and dealing with TikTok, the app. We're going to ask her about it right now on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3. The Sky. Hey, good morning, fellas. Sorry about the echoes. You can probably tell I'm walking through the tunnel in the Capitol right now. 
Yep, I, I've been there before. It's a, a very cool place. I uh, Everybody should go visit when they get a chance. But uh, the CEO of TikTok is going to be on the hot seat today. What yeah. do you what do you hope to glean from uh, from this kind of meeting? Do you think they're going to concede? Oh yeah, we're spying on you, and uh, we'll immediately pull out of America. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. They're going to deny, deflect, and try to hit on the high points of what they think is a selling a selling point for TikTok. So, I can tell you, having met with this CEO, he came and uh, had a private meeting with me a couple weeks ago, trying to. Uh, softened me up a little bit. We basically knew what they were doing and framed our questions to him in this meeting that we would use as the basis for our line of questioning today. So I think what you're, what you're going to see truly, and this is going to be a bipartisan thing, is that TikTok is not a private company. I don't think the government needs to be in the business of picking winners and losers, but TikTok is not a private company. They are an arm, an extension of the CCP. Members of their corporate board are high-ranking officials in the Communist Party in China. We know this because we have been doing intel briefs for the last month, and we've known this for a long time. So we're going to clearly highlight that this is not a private company. This is, in fact, just an extension of the CCP propaganda machine. We're also going to show that there is a direct correlation to the directives of Chairman Xi Jinping and what they're doing through TikTok. Then we're going to show that it is incredibly dangerous to our kids, to society, because what they're doing is they're harvesting data, the data that they are then turning around and using to war game different scenarios against Americans and our allies. And, of course, we know that they issue all these kinds of crazy challenges, really pushing the boundaries. You've got blackout challenges. You've got uh, the Tide Pod challenges, the everything that you can imagine where kids have actually died. And today in the committee hearing, you're going to actually have a couple families who have lost their children to some of these ridiculous TikTok challenges that the company themselves says that they don't condone or host on their platform. So it's going to be a wild day. Uh, a, a small group put together a, a, like a quick little study where they signed up for TikTok as uh, 13-year-olds and uh, mm-hmm. and they and they put in their uh, catchphrases that they were unsure of like their sexuality or had issues with that or were what they called the, the celibate uh, Folks, anyway, within 10 minutes, all of them, because of algorithms, um, presented things, uh, material related to suicide. Yes. So, yeah, and I mean, that's this is what we know. Um, I actually had the opportunity to talk to the CEO in our meeting directly about this. Their algorithms are not like Meta, where Facebook and Instagram, they build an algorithm based on who you like and who you follow on the app. TikTok uses an algorithm that is called a behavioral algorithm, meaning that if you engage in content for an X number of seconds or minutes on a video, they'll show you more of that, but then they'll connect you with people around the country and the world who are watching that exact same content, and then they amplify it because they want to see if you've spent 20 seconds watching this video, how can we up the ante and get you to watch another video for 30 seconds? And so by, by just virtue of how the algorithm works, you're seeing more and more violent content as you stay on the app or more sexualized because they have to keep you engaged. It's a behavioral algorithm that really presents an incredible threat to young people. And that's why they call it digital fentanyl. And that's why people are saying we have to have time limits. There's why we have to have these bumpers. And quite frankly, as I said, it's not a private company. This is an extension of the CCP. You, we need you, to ban this. 
you, and then have a national privacy, privacy legislation to protect Americans. You mentioned fentanyl. It comes from China. That's killing Americans. 18 to uh, 45-year-old adults, number one cause of death, just happens to be people of military age. Interesting. They just happen to be buying up farmland. Uh, much of it is near very uh, uh, precarious um, you know, sites where uh, we, you know, we have military. Um, so you, that's just a couple of things. And what you're talking about with TikTok, you went to the Naval War College. I don't have to. T- mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you anything. I'll say the word, and you explain. This is prime examples of asymmetrical warfare. Bob, you took the words right out of my mouth. I just wrapped up a Fox interview about ten minutes ago, talking about the new type of warfare in the 21st century. This is asymmetric warfare. This is not conventional big box clause Whitsian theory warfare. It is rooted in who controls data and information and systems. And TikTok is a massive component to the CCP's ability to engage and dominate the information economy. They are harvesting the data, and they say, oh, we don't do that. But yet we found out just a few months ago that they were using IP addresses to stalk journalists in the United States who were asking questions about nefarious activities at TikTok. They have the capability to gather biometric data and then simultaneously use it against you. In India, when they banned the the app there, they kept all the data and they said, we're going to use this as a basis for wargaming exercises on how we would take out the Indian population should China and India go to war. Because what it does is it tracks you, all of your biometric data, and then your network, your friends, your family, who you associate with, and they will leverage that against you. This is asymmetric warfare in the newest, greatest way, and we are handing them the tools to do it. That is why we have to get them off of our phones. And it's within their their own laws, even, that they can use Chinese nationals at any time. They have to uh, do the bidding of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And we already know they have, like, their own little police force, like in New York City. They, they discovered yeah. one, and I know it's not the only one. And then there's supposed to be this big battery deal with Ford in Michigan that Gretchen Whitmer signed off on. She had to read the bylaws. The bylaws actually call for a, a CCP presence Within yes. within this uh, uh, construct and like two or three hundred Chinese nationals to be hired at least, this is just going to be another spy operation. Why on God's green earth are we allowing this? That's the million dollar question. Why? It blows my mind. We know that any single company that is owned by China has Chinese nationals involved in it, they have to participate in what is called the golden share. The golden share means that the CCP and the Communist Party in China has full access to all information and data and activities within that particular company and what they're doing. We know from the solar plant that was put up in Jacksonville, that is a Chinese company manufacturing solar panels in Jacksonville, but when you go there, it is all Chinese nationals. And they refuse to allow Americans to work there. You have to ask yourself why. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me that we have not seen this for what it is. This is the long-term vision of the Communist Party at work here. And people are starting to wake up in Washington, but we're not doing it fast enough. We are at a turning point where if we don't get serious about this, we're going to be faced with an unsurmountable uh, situation where we no longer can communicate because they control every aspect of our society, including our communications, our higher education, our entertainment. It is seriously a threat that we need to focus on. I'm glad that this committee is happening today. And one of the things that I'm going to open up my line of questioning in 
is the fact that Xi Jinping 10 years ago very clearly laid out the need for short-form form videos that would communicate Chinese culture. He even went so far as to say this will be our effective propaganda machine and arm. We are seeing this play out in real time. We have to connect the dots and show Americans that this is a threat and that they're being used as pawns. How about this? Any politician that directly or indirectly accepts any Chinese money uh, is immediately brought up on uh, charges of sedition or something like that. I'm telling you, it's getting scary. The, there was a report that just came out that showed that the Congressional Black Caucus and the Hispanic Caucus have accepted money from the parent company of TikTok, ByteDance, and that needs to be investigated. You cannot, as a politician, accept funds from foreign nationals. I don't care that they put an executive from Disney on their board. That, in my mind, makes it worse. <laughs> That's why I yeah. always open up a thing like a foundation or like a Biden Penn Center. That way I can launder yep. money. <laughs> yeah. What was it, 10% for the big guy? Yeah, at least. I'm telling you, this is going to be the beginning of uncovering one of the greatest espionage efforts in history. And we're just at the beginning of it. We have to wake Americans up. If you know of anybody who's on TikTok, get it off your phones. Get it out of your homes. It is truly a danger to American society, to your kids. This is war. They are playing this as though this is war. And we still are asleep thinking that we're not at war with China. But China has been at war with us. Congresswoman Kat Kamek on the Bob Rose Rewind, along with State Representative Chuck Clemens, Louisa Barden from the Horse Talk Show. And we started things off with the Florida Ag Commissioner, Wilton Simpson. Thank you for tuning in to the Bob Rose Rewind. And we invite you to join us Monday morning starting at 6 a.m. for the Bob Rose Show, along with Greg Cassidy, right here on 97.3 The Sky. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.